Hello. All right, coming to you from the Doc Atmos Festival. It's a 10:30 game between the Connecticut Bulldogs and the Brooklyn Atlantics. Uh, I was so involved in the last match, I'm a little late getting the lineups as the first pitches happen. And we're back to 64 rules here, and there's a there's a long fly ball straight to the left fielder, camped under by the left fielder, and that's going to be the first sound of the game. As the Bulldogs from Connecticut have uh, have uh, are they're hitting first? That's what I'm trying to say. They're up first against the Atlantics. And uh, Mr. Chicarello is a member of the of the Bulldogs, so I get a pleasure in uh, seeing Mr. Chicarello take the field for the first time. And there's a well hit ball down the left field line that's going to. That's going to be called foul. <laughs> so Mr. Gaskell sounded like a little girl and then uh, called it manly a couple of times. Well, that ball is foul. Thank you for the breeze. Who's ever in charge of that whole thing? And uh, I will have the lineups uh, shortly. As a young young gentleman for Connecticut, hits it to the right side to the second baseman. Uh, there's going to be a throw to first, overthrow the first baseman. It's going to come right over here by me. Mr. Canino comes over and picks it up. It's a scalding line drive in the process as he's playing defense. And the young man from Connecticut is going to take his second. Here comes the lineup. Uh, so that is Drew. That's on second base. And this is Kevin for the Bulldogs. As some of the East Coast teams do not do, some of the players uh, don't necessarily go with a nickname, and uh, and some do. So the Bulldogs lineup is, is a mixture. Uh, here's a long fly ball into right center field that's going to fall in the right fielder is going to do a good job getting to the ball and getting it back in. He saved his team a run right there on a fine defensive play as Drew has to stay at third. Kevin takes his first on a well-hit ball, and that's Hobo out in right field uh, in his bare feet and his destroyed uniform, and uh, that's going to bring up Gooch. Remember the Gooch? He was the bully in different strokes. Uh, here he is, the Gooch. First and third, one out for the Bulldogs. And uh, there's a warning to the striker just now on a fair pitch. And the Dragonflies are really starting to multiply as there's a pop-up to the shortstop. He's going to catch it on the bound. And I definitely missed. I missed something because that was the third out. Oof. Uh, so I'm going to have to get that straight in, my, uh, in the next inning as the wheels are turning in my head. But I do know this, there is no score.
as the Atlantics come to the plate. The Atlantics are going to lead off with a karaoke specialist crawler who has got to be hung over like a champion. His many ACDC and other heavy songs from last night. I, I wonder how his voice is. Let's see if we can get a word from Matt uh, as he walks up uh, to, the, to the dish. Matt, how you feeling today? <laughs> He'll sweat all that alcohol out of him. <laughs> ah, to be young again. Okay, Mr. Kornhaus is is, uh, is pitching today for the Connecticut Bulldogs in his Knickerbocker Experience uniform, looking sharp. And uh, I, I would assume that all of these gentlemen are familiar with each other. I don't know how familiar, but they do see each other being on the East Coast all the time. Uh, Mr. Kornhaas, who does take pride in his pitching. There's a, left, a line drive down the left field line, but it's going to be a one-hop to the left fielder. Well, hold on there. It's going to be the first stone on Crawler. I'm going to ask uh, my daughter Amelia to find out who made the last out in that last inning. Hey, can you find out who that batter was for Connecticut that made the last out? Can you ask somebody over there? Okay, sorry about the squealing. Things had to be done. And we're back. <laughs> I didn't really go anywhere. Snakes is up for the Brooklyn Atlantics. Mr. Kornhaas not only knows bats, but he knows pitching. Okay, that's what I had. So I missed an out somewhere. Gooch was the last out of the inning. Fox is going to lead off the inning for the Bulldogs when they get back up. But uh, a thrill to watch Mr. Kornhaas pitch. This is not something I've ever seen. Uh, a ball a bit inside. Uh, it's different. It's definitely different calling this match because I don't have as much to talk about because they're not calling balls and strikes. And uh, so there's a ball hit down the first baseline by Snakes. That's going to be foul. But I mean, he likes this bat too. So. Players back to their positions, and here comes the next pitch to Snakes by Mr. Kornhaas. Pine Tire, fantastic ambassador for the game of vintage baseball. Uh, pounded into the ground. Mr. Kornhaas off of... That's a... a so Mr. Kornhaas caught this ball. His momentum was carrying him directly away from first base. He does throw it immediately. He cannot get enough on the ball. It's a somewhat accurate throw over to first base. 
he cannot get enough steam on the ball uh, for the out to be recorded. So Snakes does take his first, bringing up Mr. Emma, who did a fantastic job of umpiring in an 1884 match just before this. If you're listening to this and haven't listened to that, listen to the Kent Cornshuckers against the Providence Grays in the 1884 match. It was a fantastic match. It was a very fast-paced experience, especially for somebody who's uh, talking it through like me, who I did have some help with some people stopping by, but uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of downtime. Now, in a 64 match, the pace is going to slow way down. The so uh, there's a there's a steal, and he did not have the ball in his hand when he went for the tag, so Snakes is going to take a second. Uh, so here we go. A couple of people I've interviewed, Mr. Kornhaus and Mr. Emma. And uh, Mr. Emma nodding with the acknowledgement that that was a pitch he probably should have swung at and wanted to swing at and just couldn't pull the trigger on it. There's a high one for Mr. Kornhaus. Now, these people that I, I come across, and the ones that stick out, I mean, there's fantastic ball players. There's a bad bounce in the right field past the second baseman. The right fielder's going to knock it down. Uh, we are going to get Snake scoring on the play, and Mr. Emma's going to get back to first base before any damage is done on a bad decision. <laughs> uh, and that's going to score a run. Uh, it, was a, it was a ball hit to the to Chuck at second base, and it took a terrible bounce. And uh, he did not have a chance at that. So we haven't seen a ton of those bounces, uh, but we have seen some. Mr. Kornhaus doing his best to keep Mr. Emma close. Uh, Mr. Emma gets back on a throw. Kornhaus then does a quick pitch to Canino, and uh, nothing happens. Uh, there's a pitch by Mr. Canino, who's, and there's a throw down to. There's a throw down to first base to see if they can get Mr. Emma napping, and another throw over to first base to get Mr. Emma, and no, and then there was a quick pitch, and it's a low pitch, and Mr. Emma decides not to go. There is a chess match happening right now between the pitcher and Mr. Emma. Mr. Emma takes off for the steal. There's a misplay by the catcher, so that's going to be a steal. Uh, Boy, the cat and mouse game is is probably one of the funnest things in a baseball game. Mr. Emma's got about a five-step lead, and the shortstop is not holding him. So I would expect him to extend this lead as Mr. Chicarello is content with staying where he's at. As the ball is hit into right center field, it's going to be in the gap, and center fielder is going to come over and get it on the hop, retiring Mr. Canino on the hardest hit ball in the history of the world. Uh, but Mr. Emma is going to score. As he never stopped running on that. He had a good vantage point of that. Uh, farthest and hardest hit ball I've seen in the history of the world by Mr. Canino. As, <laughs> as I say, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but it does result in the run being scored, so fine job by Mr. Canino. My friend. He's my friend, everybody. It's going to bring up Toothy. 
He's got a fantastic Stars and Stripes bat. And there's a ball. It's going to English bounce back to the catcher for the third out of the inning. So that's going to be two runs for the Atlantics in the bottom of the first, making the score two to nothing. Hardest and farthest ball I've ever seen. <laughs> in my life, best hit ever. <laughs> Uh, as the day is going on here, you're seeing different people with different uniforms. And uh, like I said yesterday, it's interesting to come across these people you only see on social media and uh, don't exactly know how to talk to these people. Uh, that's going to bring up Foxy uh, to the plate. For the Bulldogs, I, uh, I'm i wondering, how does one get the nickname of Foxy? Just curious. I'm sure uh, I can find out later. As the score is uh, two to nothing, two for Atlantics, zero for the Bulldogs, and 38 Dragonflies. Dragonflies are winning this game. They're to be contended, contended with. Foxy, high fly ball to the second base area, and uh, they're going to let that drop. Mr. Emma is going to record the own on that. And uh, it's going to bring up grit. Uh, grit, he's a good-looking dude. I feel like... I'm confident enough in my uh, who I am as a person to be able to tell you that uh, Grit is a good-looking older man on the Bulldogs uh, yeah I spent a little too much time on that and made it awkward didn't I let's just say he's a good-looking dude all right <laughs> as a couple of pictures have come in. I wonder what the death rate of these dragonflies are as the game goes on. Durandy Johnson hit a seagull. I wonder how many dragonflies die as a result of a baseball. There's a well hit ball to center field. Center fielder's going to wait for the bounce, but he was not in good enough position to wait for that bounce. He, he did not back up far enough, so it just kind of bounced by him. Uh, Grit is going to take his third without an issue. A very well hit ball to center field. Uh, can't say enough about what a good looking man he is. <laughs> By the way, I like girls. I'm just saying. I'm just calling it like it is. It's a hey, it's a slow paced game in sixty four, okay? I don't know what to tell you. I'm just trying to here's a pop up to Canino behind the plate. He's going to make that play. As Emmett for the Bulldogs pops out to the pitcher. That's gonna bring up Hanch. Is this a reference to Honcharello? Honcher. I'm not sure. He's a young kid. 
young kid, young legs, it's always good to get that on a vintage baseball team. Zaddy. Uh, it looked like he was maybe attempting a fair foul or was just trying to punch it down the left field line. Uh, the left fielder for the Atlantics is playing two steps off the left field line. They know something. He's got his hand on the foul pole. They know something about this guy. And there's a... There is a, an attempted... <laughs> there is an attempted steal of home by Grit. And... Uh, so he's gonna run all the he's gonna run all the way back to third before he's tagged, but that was a crazy play. I don't even know how to describe that. It was obvious by the the hitter's positioning on on the prior pitch or pitches that he was trying to. There's a play on. There was definitely a play on. A play on that the Atlantics have seen before out of this club. See, there had to have been some familiarity that happened. And old school is now up for the Atlantics here in the second inning. Uh, old school is indeed the left fielder that was, that was actually standing directly next to the foul pole on that last play. And... Mr. Kornhaus with the pitch. It's a little bit low for his liking, and that one's going to get swung at. And that's a hit into right field because it's going to take a couple of bounces to the right fielder. <laughs> Lucky for us, we're getting joined by Mr. Johnson right now, captain of the Addison Mountain Stars, member of the Canton Corn Shuckers this weekend. Adam, tell me everything about your experience in that 1884 match. I was pretty nervous going in, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty sure I was going to throw down about four or five strikeouts on the day. Um, then the first at bat, he threw me one. I was about ten minutes behind it, made some adjustments, and just absolutely laced one down the left field line. Made my entire weekend. Uh, oh, no, you crushed that. That was uh, as there's a uh, steal of second base by old school. Yeah, you absolutely crushed that. Have you have you played in an 84 match before? As there's a long fly ball into left center field. They might get this on a hop, and they do to record the second out. Old school is going to score on that, however, as that was chaos that hit that way back there on a bound. I'm not, I haven't adjusted back to a 64 match yet since what I saw in 84. Uh, was that your first 84 match? That was my first 84 match. I haven't hit fast pitch in over 20 years. So, uh, well, I'm assuming most of the Shuckers were having, uh, they haven't played any, have they? Uh, I believe Who and Copper and Ticket still play some form of hardball occasionally. Okay. I think Copper, it's been maybe five years. I'm not 100%, but I think Who actually still dabbles in hardball. Copper played his ass off in that match, by the way. He was phenomenal. He was a, a ball is crushed into right field. It hit the house. Wow. The first ball off the house this weekend, and he's going to get in. Uh, there was an issue about whether he was going to get into second because he hit the damn house so hard it bounced back 
onto the field, and it was a shorter throw to second base. It's been about maybe more than 15 years since somebody's hit that on the fly. I'll tell you what, that's your that's your reigning mightiest striker right there, and he's oh, is that who that is? Yeah, he's showing us why. <laughs> Frenchy is. He didn't bring the mallet. I told him to even show up to the plate with it, just to see what the first pitcher would do if he just walked up with it. Disrespectful. Like <laughs> uh, so the mightiest striker from the Michigan Vintage Baseball Festival makes an appearance. I didn't. I didn't look at him. I didn't realize it was him. I just saw the name on the thing. It's Frenchy. Hobo's up to the plate right now, and he cut rushed and hit the house in right field. So you know. It did sound different off his bat like it did all day in Frankenmuth. Uh, you know what? Here you go, Hobo. Dig it. Hobo down to third base. There's going to be a misplay and a no throw. Uh, so so you mentioned how you were way behind. You saw a pitch, and, and well, you swung at it, and you were miles, minutes behind it. Minutes, yeah. Uh, you made your adjustments. Other than other than seeing fast pitch, uh, how was your experience in that in that match? I would like I felt like a kid again. Like I really did. Like that was I haven't I haven't played baseball and felt like that in such a long time. Like it just brought back a lot of memories of like, you know, being out there and like, you know, you're pulling for the pitcher so hard watching who just absolutely dropped dimes in there. By the end of the game his curveball was just falling right into the zone. Guys yep. were bailing out. Uh I don't know, it's just that that's baseball to me. That's what we all grew up playing and it was just so fun to go back and do that again. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch, I'll tell you what, and it was absolutely a lot of fun to podcast because I didn't have to stop talking. There was, it was nonstop action as there's a bouncer over the left fielder's head. That's going to score a couple of runs as Horse makes his first on a well-hit ball. Uh, but, yeah, the action is completely different than a 64 or 67 game, and it was a fantastic. I can only imagine how fun it was to play. Uh, the the difference in how how would you not want to play baseball like that? I mean that <laughs> that was just so much fun, so many smiles, and yet you're out there playing chess at the same time. Uh, it's the right as uh, Horace is going to take a second. It was the right mixture of competitiveness, but having the time of your life, and. Uh, Oh, no, they got him out at second base. I misspoke as I thought he was a shoe-in. Oh, it's a huge horse. A no, shoe-in. Never mind. Tuna up to the plate. Uh, it, did you find the pace of the game? Did you notice the pace of the game, not only because of the pitching aspect, but it was just nonstop? Did you notice? Yeah, the, it, uh, it felt everything felt more tense. You know what I mean? Not not in a bad way. Like you're in, you're locked into the moment a lot more. I feel like in that game, just because, like you said, with the chess match between the pitcher and catcher. Plus, the catcher's not wearing shin guards. The catcher's one of the two catchers weren't weren't wearing a protective cup. I'll I'll leave that one up to <laughs> I'll leave that one up to the audience to figure out which one. A, one of them loves to live dangerously. Yes. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time worrying about that one when I was in the field. Um, also, Dean Emma called an absolutely fantastic game in that, uh, and Kai from Providence pitched a great game too. He, we got on him early, but at, once he once he settled in after that, I man, he was just dealing. He was working the zone. Uh, yeah, and he was also coming at you from different angles. Yeah, uh, which 
and and having a lefty on the mound when you're on first base, that's a different experience too because you haven't seen that in a while where uh, your leadoff is uh, definitely affected by that. There was uh, the third out was registered on Tuna, and that's going to bring us to the, the top of the third inning here as the Bulldogs uh, come to the plate. And uh, I believe that's Emmett again. If they're following, yes, they're following Vintage Tour. That's Emmett. So this brings Ponch back up, who was the second out of the last inning. Uh, yeah, how hard would it be to get an 84 game in Michigan or Ohio? Uh, in your mind, could you come up with a couple of teams willing to play that way once in a while, like you, you'd once have to, a year? You'd have to pull guys from different teams, I think, but there are definitely enough ballers that could do it. You know what I mean? You're going to be in Knickerbocker next year. <laughs> but it's a sharp uniform. It is. It's a real nice <laughs> uniform. As uh, Mr. Kornhaus is uh, watching Ponch make the second out, and Pintar is now coming up to the plate. It's his first uh, at-bat of the day. And uh, if you go back in the archives, you can hear Mr. Kornhaus talk about the Knickerbocker experience as he wears that uniform. And he's, uh, his hands are a little bit spread apart on the bat. He uses a bigger, uh, longer bat for sure. Uh, I think an 1884 game, and it's probably just because I'm emotional in the moment and being so happy, the erection hasn't gone down from what I witnessed in that 84 game. Just to have maybe just a game a year at one of these events, even if you are pulling from other teams, just to make that. You know, the Wilcox Wild Bunch pulls from other teams. The Wilcox Wild Bunch would absolutely play an 1884 game. We would be all about that. Um, and just to echo your thoughts, I've been carrying around a roll of quarters in my pocket <laughs> since that game. It's just <laughs> Mr. Kornhaus makes the third out. Bulldogs go very quietly, one, two, three, in the top of the third, and that's going to bring the Atlantics back up, crawler to lead off. Uh, yeah, I felt it right away, too. Mm -hmm. uh, right at the beginning, I'm like, oh, no, no, this is going to be way different. You knew you were a part of something special. Yeah, you know, absolutely. As soon as you stepped on that field. And uh, talking to some of the guys, they do a split doubleheader on the East Coast uh, with some of this 84 baseball. Well, they'll do a 64 and then an 84 doubleheader. That sounds amazing. I'd love to be a part of that, you know, That's, even if it's in Ohio and Michigan. Yeah. I don't think I don't think you could find enough Pennsylvania guys for that. For a doubleheader in 84 baseball? Maybe if you went out east, you know. Do you think you could find 18 guys – Willing to play an 84 game of baseball once a year. Yes. Because that would be great. I mean, you already probably have nine in Canton. That's true. Now, would it be fair for Canton to face an all-star team? <laughs> I think it would be more than fair. I can't think of anything more fair that I've heard. As a crawler is up at the plate, uh, that would be phenomenal. Now I'm thinking because I know a guy that puts on events once in a while, and his wheels are spinning right now about how I can incorporate an 84 game into a into an an event that's already going to be happening that I find out location in a couple of days. So, oh, I've heard of this guy. I hear he's the best in the business. Well, that's certainly not true, but he tries. 
So, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that for a week. And uh, there's a ground ball to third. Crawler's going to slide into first. He's going to make his first. And uh, we'll, I'll get to talk to you at the World's Tournament next weekend, right? I'll be there. Uh, who are you? Uh, are you with Droverton? I'm with the Droverton Black Flags, yep. Yep. Tough and bracket. We'll, uh, they're all tough brackets. Even the ones that you say are easier brackets, they're tough. I listened to the podcast uh, about that with Aussie. Yeah, any, any thoughts as Crowler steals? Takes a second. I think that you can make the argument that every bracket's tough for its own reasons, but if you asked every team what bracket they wanted to play in, they would be obvious favorites. Well, sure. No, there's no question about that. But in order to win, which is what everybody's goal is, except the Columbus Capitals who just want to come back next year, uh, if you want to win the whole thing, you're going to have to beat these kind of teams. That's a true statement. It doesn't matter when you face them. you got to beat them. Can we talk about the level of disrespect that Aussie had for not knowing who the Wild Bunch was? <laughs> I was so disrespected by that. Uh, there's a fly ball down the right field line. That's going to be foul. Uh, did he not know who you were, or did he just not want to admit he knew who possible. you were? That's possible. You know, he didn't want to give us the, the infamy, the publicity. <laughs> uh, the Wild Bunch in the kilts against the Canton in an 84 match. Oh, I can't allow that. <laughs> I can't allow that. <laughs> You'll never catch me in a kilt. Uh, there's a fair foul attempt and a successful one. Uh, the third baseman has to haul it in. That's a almost pitcher-perfect fair foul by Snakes right there. Rudy Frias would be proud. He would. He absolutely would. And jealous, yeah. I think, because most of his attempts – uh, he would tell me differently, but most of his attempts are not that successful. I don't think anybody's are, to tell you the truth. It's a, it's an art. Yeah. It's becoming a lost art. It should be. So they should all lose it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Kornhaas is going to fake a throw over to first, bring it back over to third. Crawler was uh, suspecting quick pitch to home. Uh, the unfortunate thing about the quick pitch in a 64 situation is uh, you just you can just let it go by. Yeah. If If you're... His dream bucket is up at at home. Uh, you can just let it go by. There's no penalty. So if you're, it doesn't have the same effect as there's a steal a second by Snakes. The more and more we play out here, the more and more I enjoy the, the quick call ball strikes, the open stealing. Um, you're coming around, huh? I sure, well, I sure would like to. I mean, I would never leave the fly game, though. That's what these boys need to come around on the fly game, get the perfect mix. Mixture of the sixty-seven. So fly. basically, you're you're thinking Greenfield Village rules without limitation. Yeah, that's what you're. Yeah, you're talking about. I think that's the sweet spot. And uh, there's a foul ball down the first baseline. It's going to get back into the crowd here at Old Beth Page. Uh, and you and you heard on the podcast, Mister Rossi, talk about their thought process on all of that and why they make the rules the way they do and, and stuff like that. And it does as accurate as it is the open stealing and the ball always being live does extend the game. For sure. No, no doubt about it. And when you're and there's a ball into the shrubbery, they might have a hard time getting that one out of there, but he's going to go for it. So 
And he's right. So you're extending the length of the game. You're lowering how many innings are being played. And in a tournament setting, that's going to upset people because they're going to feel like they're the better team, but they just got beaten five innings or, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, is anybody wrong or is anybody right? It just seems like it's you just do your best. Yeah, I mean, every team has to play by the same rules. So at the end of the day, you know, it's fair. And, and I think Greenfield Village does a great job with it. Um, you know, the, the first contact stealing is still allows teams that have fast guys to be effective on the base pass. Here's a Wilhill ball in the center field by Mr. Emma. That's going to score one for sure. Throw's going to come in to home, uh, and that's going to score two. Mr. Emma's going to take a second. Atlantic's with a couple more on the board. So when we talk about how the Muffins went to the East Coast, they learned a certain form of baseball. They brought it back. And then they made some alterations. Once again, you can't say they were wrong. They did it for specific reasons that suited them and their program. And then that's what got taught. Uh, And there's, you know, all of these teams have the ability to learn the exact rules at the exact time and to play by whatever they want to play by. There is no governing body in vintage baseball. Your governing body is, is... majority rules on your club i mean that's so you play by the rules that you want to play by and uh so you don't there's a presentation element involved in vintage baseball you want your fans and your families and friends to enjoy not playing they're watching you play you want them to enjoy the experience as much as possible so yes some elements of the game get changed for that reason uh, you're putting on presentations at historical sites like this, so they don't change as much uh, because you're you're educating. Listen, every vintage baseball team's not out there educating. Some are just out there playing. And there's, once again, nobody's wrong. Nobody's right. Mr. Emma just scored. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts on anything I just said? You want to argue? No, I, I think I'm on board with you. I think uh, we talk a lot about historical accuracy, and I can't think of anything more historically accurate than saying there was probably a little bit of variance across the country, you, you know, different places. I mean, we still have it. Uh, Mr. Canino on a well-hit ball to the right field, it, it was hit so hard that it just tore the right fielder up. Hardest hit ball I've seen in 15 years. Wow. And farthest. I mean, Mr. Canino is crushing the ball. He's my friend. Single. <laughs> That's going to bring Toothy up. Uh, yeah, as long as the team, look, as long as the team you're playing with is okay with how the rules are being set for that game, then, but you really shouldn't. I, I can't think of a reason why a team, and I'm going to go back to something. I'm not going to bring up team names. That's fine. But I'm going to bring up something. If there's a vintage baseball festival or tournament and you find out that the rule set is not where you're hoping it for it to be and you cancel, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are we doing here, people? You're canceling because of a rule set? Go play baseball. I would like to echo, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's a great question, and I would like to know the answer. Uh, Obviously not naming any names. You don't, you know, you go and you're playing baseball, play by a different rule set you're used to, and just deal with it. You're playing baseball. 
I'm I'm still a little ticked of some stuff I've heard. I if you listen to podcasts, I'm ticked all the time about stuff I hear in the Midwest. But I love you. I love you, Midwest baseball. Let's just uh let's add a couple of let's add an eighty four game once a year. And then do what you're doing the rest of the time. Can we do it? Old school crushes it to right field underneath the house on many bounces because he's no, he's no Jimmy Sevior. And there's a head first slide and the third base textbook slide. Pretty. Toothy's going to score on that. And uh, that's the best vintage head first slide into a base I've ever seen. That isn't an exaggeration. I have exaggerated a lot in this match, but that is no exaggeration. It was fantastic. We have it. We got a picture of it. I'll prove it to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's Brooklyn Atlanta came to play, came to play. Uh, Mr. Canino just hit the hardest hit ball you've ever seen. Now the prettiest head first slide. All in the same inning. Chaos hits it down the left field line. It's high. He's if he gets a bounce off the hill, and he didn't. It bounced straight up, but he still was able to get all the way over there. Fine athleticism by the left fielder. That's gonna bring up Jimmy. The 2022 Mightiest Striker winner at the Michigan Vintage Baseball Festival, who crushed it during that uh, exhibition of power in Frankenmuth, and then he came up in his first at-bat and hit the house. Uh, well, did ob you... Observationally, heap squats. You think? <laughs> oh, it is high. It's way too high to even think about catching, but they're going to take the shortstop's going to take it on a bounce. I'm not a big fan of Catching that one on the bound. <laughs> no. My personal opinion. It was too high, though. You really had too much time to think about it. Yeah. You're going to drop that. You think so? <laughs> but you not, still got another well, chance. I'm not saying you specifically. I I'm saying have. on a ball that you have that much time to think about. Yeah, I would have took a hop on that all day long. Uh, I was talking creepily earlier about how the catcher of the Bulldogs is a good-looking man. Zaddy. Uh, this guy right here? This catcher right here. Silver Fox. <laughs> Hobo slides in the first. He's going to be out. Oh, yeah, Silver Fox for sure. I'm, I'm on board with this. See, it's not just me. I mean, he is all the way live <laughs> without questioning my sexuality at all. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> so the Atlantics are going to put up five in that inning. That's going to make the score 10 to nothing as the Bulldogs are going to come up with Mr. Chicarello leading off. Jimmy's going to go in at catcher. Nice swing, Jimmy. <laughs> as there's a, there seems to be a bit of a population addition so the next match must have uh, quite an interesting uh, crowd coming. It is the Rising Sun against the New Jersey Liberty in the next match, which uh, I'm going to miss because I'm going to walk around and check out the rest of this uh, fine historic situation. Yesterday when we were playing uh, the Connecticut team, Mr. Sigarello was uh, pitching. And there's a long foul ball uh, that's going to bounce away from the third baseman, and Mr. Chicarello is going to get a, uh, a second opportunity at this. During his windup, he seamlessly pulled his handkerchief from his back pocket, threw it out to his left, and delivered the pitch all at the same time. He had me 
all out of sorts on that pitch. <laughs> Never seen it before. And was that just a one-time special for you, or did he try that many times? That's, that was the only time I saw it on the day, so I think he, I think he was saving it, yeah. So uh, Mr. Chicarello just attempted a fair foul down a right-handed hitter doing a fair foul, trying to go almost straight back down the first baseline. I haven't seen that little maneuver before, maybe, but once. Mr. Bamer of the Fillmore Fungi does something similar. And then there's a line drive over the shortstop's head, a couple of bounces to Crowler in center field, and that's going to be a, a hit for Mr. Chicarello. This is a, that was a fun at-bat. Oh, yeah, he knew what he needed from her. His team needed from him, and he he delivered. Uh, I believe this is Nick. Is this Nick Hardy? Uh, crushed down to left field. It's going to be old school. It's going to bounce over old school's head. Mr. Chicarello is going to turn on the, the Jets and get to third. He's going to attempt to score. The throw is not going to come in. And Nick Oxygen. And Nick is uh, Nick's going to stay at second on that. I believe Nick is referred to as the East Coast Mike Feeney. That's what I was told last night. That's high praise. <laughs> is it? Okay. Uh, and that is uh, Drew now coming up for the Bulldogs as they have scored and gotten on the board thanks to the energy of a Mr. Chicarello. And there's a foul ball with English back to me. I'm not going to make that play. And uh, Mr. Gaskell's wife is also not going to make the play as she ran away from the ball. You got to do better than that, Brenda, as uh, – <laughs> Jimmy does squats. Jeez. How much is he squatting? Um look, I'm just going by the shape. <laughs> I bet he's he's got he's got a five hundred pounds or more squat. I just I just watched that form too. He's got good form. Uh Drew hits a line drive base hit into right field. That's gonna make it first and third for the Bulldogs. We talk about men and how good they look a lot because well one there's no women out here. Uh, you got to do what you got to do. Well, but yeah, what are we supposed to do? Our hands are tied. As long as I've known and been friends with Adam Johnson, we've always talked about good-looking men. What else is there to talk about? It started about? because of how good-looking Adam Johnson is. When are we going to get that calendar? Uh, so I saw something online. I didn't tell you this. There was oh, a well-hit ball into right field that's going to split the outfielders. It's going to go under the house. You peasants who can only go under the house as two more Bulldogs are going to score on, on Kevin's well-hit ball, double to right center field. I saw a man and a woman uh, had their pitcher taken in denim, and the woman had a denim. It was like a swimsuit. A denim swimsuit? A swimsuit made out of denim, and I'm like, there's the pitcher right there for the Johnsons. We need you in a denim Speedo and... Clink in a, a denim swimsuit, and we're talking, that's spring break, so that's March. You know, <laughs> the one issue that I can see about a denim swimsuit is that denim doesn't stretch very well, so I'd have a real hard time filling the front of the Speedo with socks. <laughs> you could, like, sew something on the outside and have that covered oh, in yeah. denim. See, that's now you're thinking that that's a marketable product. I'm always thinking about how to do things like that. (laughs) 
there's still baseball going on. Yeah, there is. The, listeners. the Gooch is up, and uh, he just – the Gooch was the villain from Different Strokes. Are you too young to remember that? I remember that. Uh, he hit one foul down the first baseline, and we're taking some pitches here. The, that's not the first thing I think of when I hear the word Gooch anymore, though. What's that? The Gooch? The Gooch. What do you, hit? What do you think of? Oh, I think of uh, – <laughs> I believe the medical term is the perineum, perineum. There's a grounder to the second baseman, a hopper, and the Gooch is going to be out. <laughs> and uh, Kevin's going to take a third. Really? Why do you think of that? Well, that's what people call it. It's a Gooch. Really? Yeah. I don't know this. Yeah. It's I'm like old. the same as Chode. Well, Chode I've heard. Yeah. Is this is this where this is going? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. We've really. <laughs> I've heard the Chode. Uh, fly ball into center field or right field. Hobo's going to take it in the air, causing the third. Okay, so Pintar, who was running, uh, had, to, had to hold up at third base because Hobo out in right field decided to catch that in the air. and uh, But he was still able to make home. Fine strategy by Hobo, catching it like a man. And uh, although it didn't pay off in the long run, it was still the right idea. Even though you're playing bound matches, catching it on the fly has to come into your strategy. You got to keep runners closer. You got to stop advancement. Yeah, and you got to look manly. And you have to look manly. Speaking of manly, here's grit on a ground ball to second. Uh, Silver Fox on at first. <laughs> it's going to be the end of that inning, but the Bulldogs have come back with putting four on the board. That was a big game, a big inning for the Bulldogs. They needed it. And that's 10-4. Uh, to four. Am I keeping you from your lovely wife? You can stay as long as you no, want. No, no, no. I would just <laughs> want to come over and say hi and listen to you and, and your magic voice for a little bit. And But you know if you come over, you're staying. I mean, that's the way this goes. That's why I have a, an empty seat with a microphone next to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't <laughs> we did mind this, coming over, talking We did this bit. in Sharonville. How's that injury, by the way? I was in your match, in the 84 match, you are at first base. I was mentioning you had but a very modest two-step lead, and I was wondering, are you still having lingering effects? Yeah, I'm still hobbled. We uh, walked around Central Park for like 10 miles two days ago, and my ankle blew up big again so yeah i'm still having some effects from it i can run mostly but i can't slide so i've been pretty conservative on the base paths and uh horse is going to be the uh is this something that's going to stick around for a while your uh, your injury i think i will deal with it the rest of the season hopefully by next year i'll be good there's a fly ball to the left field uh well held out there that's uh, the first don't it'd be big for the grays to be able to put up four on the board or not the Grays, the Bulldogs, to put up four on the board and then be able to uh, maybe get a whitewash by the Atlantics here or change the game. It would definitely change the momentum. Uh, so we got Tuna coming up. What do you got on your schedule uh, after Worlds? Um, I think Mountain Stars are in action three weeks in a row, and then I think that's it for the Mountain Star season. So probably just ball out when teams need me. And other than that, just rest and finally take time to heal up. There's a base hit in the center field by Tuna. Let me ask you about this lingering injury. Is it going to affect hockey? 
I have not played a game of ice hockey since the injury. I can't get a skate on. Like, I can put the skate on, but, like, the pressure the skate puts on it when I lace it up just won't let me skate. So so have you been to a doctor? Yeah. And? He told me three months, no baseball. I did not follow that protocol. I was playing baseball again. So now months. is it going to be six months, no baseball, because you didn't follow the three months, no baseball? Baseball's in the summer. You got to play it when it's there. It's true, because if you don't play baseball for three months, you're actually not playing baseball for nine months. Exactly, and that, that's kind of what I thought. So I just figured your body's a resource. You might as well use it up. <laughs> Mine definitely is a resource. It's a natural resource of many different minerals and, and <laughs> uh, hamburgers. Ooh. Is hamburgers a resource it as is. Crawler pops out down the third base line for the second out of the inning? And that's going to bring up snakes. Like I said, big. They got they got two guys out. If somebody had a resource of hamburgers right now, I would pay for that resource. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, food. And I'm sure those two young ladies over there that have accompanied me would love some food. Uh, but I got to walk around. If I don't walk around after this match, I'm going to miss the opportunity to walk around. Good spot, Shakespeare. So there's a uh, ground ball that gets into right field. Bucket. That's going to make first and second. Bucket. That's going to bring Bucket up to the dish. If you want to look for a place, Google, for a place that's close that we can go. Oh, are they coming? Oh, sweet. Where is it? Where are we going? All right. As you see, I'm gonna. I'm about to place a food order. Grubhub. Will they? Will they uh, deliver back to 1864? Get in your DeLorean and bring me a hamburger, Mr. Emma, with a red bat with a blue tip. Just the tip. You know, Mr. Emma uh, should make an appearance on that calendar if it ever transpires. He is a. You know, Mr. Emma is a very matter-of-fact person. So. Uh, <laughs> He gets straight to the chase in all of his conversations. He does not waste a single word. As Snakes makes his third. No, Tuna makes his third. Snakes makes his second. On a misplay at home. Emma going to right field. It's going to be foul. It's going to be into the shrubbery. Shrubbery. Okay, so here at Old Beth Page, a, a According to this, there's a place called the Euro and Taco House. And you can build your own bowl. There's a Philly Euro cheesesteak winner. I don't need to see the rest of the menu. <laughs> and uh, my natural source is knowing it right away when I see it. <laughs> so I've heard you say shrubbery twice now. I've, I've said it a hundred times this weekend. Oh, I get to select my cheese. Hang on, there's a line drive over the first baseman into right field. That's going to score two. The throw's going to come into home. Uh, it's not going to be in time. Airplane, you know. Snake scores. Uh, Dream bucket to second. Tuna scores. Atlantic's answer back. Cheese. A fantastic beverage on that, and that would be fantastic. 
Mr. Johnson, you need some food? No, I'm I'm good. We'll, we'll get something after this. I don't want to. That was a follow tip by Canino. Uh, that was not not held, so he continues to uh, stay at the plate. So the cadence with which you say shrubbery oh, reminds yeah. me of Monty Python. Is this intentional? Yeah, absolutely. It's shrubbery. I love the Monty Python. Uh, the quest for the Holy Grail. Seriously. That's just, it's close to perfection. Uh, there is a foul ball by Canino. There is a part where they get to the end and it gets a little silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not in love with that part because of how the movie went up until that. So when they get into the outright silliness, it's kind of like what happens in Blazing Saddles. They go through this entire storyline and then all of a sudden they're on a movie set and they're breaking through movie sets and having a fight and... The movie was so good up until those points. I don't. You don't have to pull that, but hey, they're both really good movies. There's Canino with the hardest hit ball I've ever seen in my life into left center field. He's gonna get a single. He's gonna drive in a run. It was, uh, it was glorious. The man makes a career out of hitting the hardest <laughs> hit ball of all time. It was scalding hot. Don't touch. As my, my favorite players just walking by, I got really, I got really distracted. <laughs> Uh, Ladies, uh, so if you've never seen Rob Stoltz in in life, you got to get down here to one of these events and check it out. Who? Rob Stoltz. Who? Yeah, he's breathtaking. Oh, that joke never gets old. It's gone over years and years and years. Uh, and now that's going to bring up Toothy with his stars and stripes bat. You know, the Bulldogs had a chance to. to uh, Climb back in this, and now the Atlantics are coming back with some runs. It's a, it's a foul ball. It's being called. He got it on the bound. So for one, that's a hell of a play by the left fielder. I didn't think he had a chance. I'd given up on, on that once I saw it was going to be foul. And uh, third out of the inning. So the Atlantics come back and put three on the board. And uh, so that's going to make the score 13 to four. Pretty good answer. Three of four. Yeah, that's going to – the momentum you were building up has now been stopped. Yep, that's going to take a little wind out of the sails. But I've heard um, Mr. Cigarello has uh, fantastic stats coming in relief, so this game's far from over. Okay, so I don't. You probably did pick it up because I could hear it. Mr. Gaskell explaining that because the flag is blowing towards the fair territory in right field, if the ball hits the flag, it's fair. In left field, because the flag is blowing to foul territory, if the ball hits the flag, it's foul. Not the pole, the flag, right? I think that's what he was saying. What are you going to do if the wind changes dynamically? Uh, He's one of the best in the business. Change the rules. He'll, uh, uh, high fly ball to Crawler at third. He's going to he's going to mishandle it, and then Mr. Emma is going to come in and close the deal. That's why you do it on the fly, boys. <laughs> you get that second chance. Yeah. I don't feel like I've ever gotten a second chance <laughs> in life. So why should you? 
No. Uh, see a Canton corn shucker coming back in. You guys. Uh, That's Bone Shaker. You can tell from his pink Crocs. And his abnormally long, his fingers are dragging on the ground. <laughs> so, oh, so what you're doing right now is you're scouting as the Brooklyn Atlantics will be taking on Canton Corn Shuckers at uh, the 1215 game over on Schenck. That is the play here. Tell me about the Schenck field. Have you played over there? Nope. We've been here every single game so oh. far. I hear uh, the right field is there's a foul tip and a. Uh, Display of anger by Ponch as he is out on the follow tip. That's going to bring up Pine Tar. He's looking forward to skiing season. Not until baseball season's over. He doesn't think like that. But as soon as that bat is dropped for the final time of the season, he'll be picking up a ski pole and uh, swinging a miss. Uh, I hear the right field is, well, you've been over there, though. You've seen the field. No, I haven't made it past this field. There's a bound to Mr. Emma, a well-hit ball by Pine Tar. Directly to Mr. Emma, and that's an out on the bound. It's a 1-2-3 inning, and like we said, momentum's gone. Coming back to the Atlantics. In the top of the fifth. Score remains. Oh, they didn't put the new score up from the last inning. So that's uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 11, 12, 13 to 4. Old school leading off. Uh, there is a little bit of a an intensity in the East Coast teams that you don't necessarily see all the time in the Midwest. Uh they get upset quicker. I should. I guess that's their their the fuse is shorter. Midwest still has a fuse. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's just a little shorter on the east. I've had this described to me before, um, and I, I, from an East Coast perspective, you know, they they look at it as the um, back in the day historically they were gentlemen of their towns, um, but the team still kind of had rivalries and still. Uh, you know, went at each other with, with some intensity. So um, the uh, the gentlemanly play thing may be, uh, from their perspective, more of an anachronism, the way the Midwest does it. I'm not taking a stance one way or the other. I've just had that described to me before and found it an interesting perspective. Well, it's definitely lower key in the Midwest, all aspects of the game. I don't think you can deny that. Uh, but it works. Midwest uh, Vintage Baseball, for the most part, old school, ground out to shortstop. He'll be the first down of the inning. Thrives. There's lots of teams and lots of events, and the people who love the vintage the most and take it the most seriously, they find their way. They find their games. They play the games. They they don't call in sick. They they show up every weekend to play, and those are the ones who, who take the – the love of the game a little more seriously. Not that anybody's wrong or right. Do what you got to do. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> just do you. I mean. There's a long fly ball down the left field. Uh, I thought that left fielder was going to get to that one. There was lots of air under that. It's hidden to the trees that haven't been reached very often this weekend. 
And uh, Chaos is going to make his way back to home plate. Hey, Jimmy. Where's the mallet? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, send me a picture of that, would you? <laughs> oh, you've got a picture of that already. Yes. As chaos takes a a pitch, oh, right to the third baseman, almost in the wiener. He blocks it, throws it to first. There's a slide. This is a close play. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was more concerned about protecting his wiener than catching that ball. Well, there was a young man yesterday playing third base. He couldn't have been 13 or 14, and there was a line drive. It was uh, he's safe at first, by the way. Chaos is on. Uh, he it went right through his hands to his wiener, hit him in the wiener, Ugh. and uh, he shook it off. He didn't. He didn't. He, like, he shook his wiener off, and he didn't say anything. I just wanted to let that sit. Uh, he didn't sell it. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, like he stone faced it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a gangster move. But there's no way. Oh, there's a hot shot to center field. What a hell. Well held out in center field. They're going to get a double play. They're going to get a double play. That is a, a great play. Frenchie crushes it over the center fielder's head. He has to get on his horse. A dead sprint to his right backwards, catches it on the fly. The, the guy, uh, Chaos on first base thinks there's no way. He's going to catch up to that. So he's running. And uh, then there's a throw in from center field, and they barely get him. It's a bang-bang play at first base, but it is a double play. Uh, awesome's not uh, correct. <laughs> you can't say that, Mr. Gaskell. Know your words. Uh, I'm just kidding. He just always gets on me about everything, so I'm just like, I'm just waiting for one. I'm reaching. Uh, so that does ensure that Jimmy's coming back up to lead off the next inning, just saying. Chuck Chicarillo's going to uh, come up here for the Bulldogs. As uh, as it's a 1-3-2 inning for the, for the Bulldogs to get the Atlantics. You don't hear that very often. One, three, two. And then we must have somebody's incurred some sort of an no, just a just a temporary. We didn't have a second baseman. Hobo from right field is offering up his services. Uh, we we do have that taken care of now. As, uh, Mr. Chicarello was up. You remember his at bat last time it was very interesting. Chess, chess was being played. And uh, Chuck, uh, one of the most quick-witted fellows I've ever run across. I can't keep up with him, and he just makes me laugh. He's playing chess when we're all playing checkers. Yeah. You ever been hitting the wiener? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many times. I wear a cup <laughs> to play vintage baseball. You wear a cup? 
Yeah. That's not the most popular of opinions, as most people don't. And most people aren't that smart. Uh, they just expose their wiener to the ball over and over again. Nobody is exposing their wiener to the ball. Well, I mean, from a risk management perspective. That's, that's going to be a fair ball as it's hit down into the ground. It bounces off Chicarello. Canino comes up with the best throw I've ever seen in my life uh, to first base <laughs> as uh, Chicarello slides. Uh, that was a perfect slide. It was uh, the leg, the first leg. Extended out the the second leg bent behind it was gliding on the ground, and but he was out. Here's Nick, the East Coast Mike Feeney, and that makes Mike, because I think this is Nick Hardy, unless somebody tells me different. Uh, and there's a fly ball down the left field line that's gonna be caught on a bounce. I don't know if it was fair or foul. It doesn't matter. That makes uh, Mike Feeney the Midwest Nick Hardy, I believe. Is is that how that works? I don't know. The transitive property? Sure. Have you ever been hitting the wiener? I'm a man who's taken it in the wiener a couple of times. I don't wear a cup. I find them to be uncomfortable. Well, they are that. Uh, there's a fly ball in the center field, and uh, that's going to be well held out there. A one, two, three inning. Uh, yeah, that's and Jimmy's gonna come up and crush it here, but yeah, there's always the what do you do? Uh, you know, I tried, I wore a cup, I was catching for Bay City, and for the first time, I was going to catch Brian Besserell, and I'm like, no, it was before that. Uh, I caught Silverback, and Silverback tries to put a lot of steam on the ball he when he's swiftly, pitching. For sure. But he's also not very accurate. So there's a lot of pitches being thrown in those games. Mm -hmm. When you're the catcher, well, I mean, he got better. So let me, I got to say that. He got better with his accuracy. He's a much better pitcher now than he was. But when he was starting the transition into the pitching, he would try to put steam on it, and he did not throw a lot of strikes. So being the catcher was brutal, and I took a couple in the wiener. <laughs> and so I I came to a game. I believe the game was uh, it was in Bay City. I want to say it was maybe a state a state tournament, and I caught him in a game, and I actually took a ball off the wiener cup. Oh, the cup! Jimmy crushes the right field. This is gonna be. Beat the right fielder. It's going to hit into the trees in the shrubbery. Jimmy's going to get all he can get. He's trying to flex those leg muscles as he gets into third standing up. He's all right. I kind of like the pants tucked into the socks look he's got going on. It's like the, it's almost like a poor man's knickers. You know, he can do whatever he wants. Nobody's going to say a word. To him. I'm not saying anything to him. I've seen him swing a bat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, today's arm day. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so I took a, I, uh, I took a couple of, uh, pitches to the Wiener Cup and it still wasn't pleasant. And I'm like, well, if it's gonna hurt because of the mighty vibration and the pressure that's put on by that. And I'm still having a little bit of after effects. I'm just going to take the full wiener shot and be comfortable 99% of the time. 
I Ho- see what you're saying. Hobo beats it into the ground. And uh, although it did protect the twig and berries, um, not enough for me to be uncomfortable 99% of the time. Yeah, I think for the most part, you're more concerned about the berries than the twig when it comes to your cup. Certainly in my case, as it's more like three berries. <laughs> Hobo, high in the air, uh, and out to center field, waiting for the hop. Hop is held. Jimmy's going to score. I feel like this podcast gets more lowbrow every time I'm on it, and I think I might have something to do with it, so I apologize. This could be true. I'm not going to deny that, but I will tell you it's needed because you get every aspect. You get so many different viewpoints and so many different subject matter. I mean, it's perfect. I just don't think enough people talk about wiener cups. And... Horse hits a one-bouncer straight to the left fielder. I mean, we're still going to do a, an episode about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. That's happening. Okay, you're going to have to tell me about that because I'm a DM. Well, no, you're the one that's in the episode, Adam. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, so I need you to uh, do what you guys do, whatever that is, and create a vintage baseball-themed Dungeons and Dragons game. Oh, I can do that. Who, who's the party? Jesus Christ, I'm so excited. I'm not going to shit. Who's the what? Who's going to be the party, like the adventurers in this vintage baseball team? It's going to be all the people you know that is a foul ball beaten to the ground by uh, Tuna. It's going to be the usual suspects uh, that you play. Oh, they're calling that fair a fair foul. And the out is going to be had at first base. Sorry. So the Atlantics are going to put one more up on the board. And that's going to bring the Bulldogs up. They have a lot of work to do. We're an hour and ten minutes into this. A time limit of 12.15. And we are at time of, I don't know. I don't have my phone. I also don't. Okay, it's not important. We know we're still playing. Uh, so Rudy Frias is in on this. For sure. Yep. Uh, I, I would leave. Uh, well, your wife is in on this, right? Yep. She's a player. She'll probably tank. And is there any more, uh, are there any more uh, players on the Mountain Stars that are into the? Oh, yeah, the Mountain Stars are loaded with D&D players. And what's, like, the maximum for a D&D situation? I feel like the sweet spot is four to six players. Okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to come up with a vintage baseball-themed experience, and you're going to get however many people you want, but I have to be one of the players. Oh, you're in. Is I am the guy who's never played before, and that's what the podcast is. It's a vintage baseball Dungeons & Dragons experience through the eyes of somebody who's never played before and learning how to play Dungeons & Dragons. I love it. So we'll put an ambient... Well, it'll be on. Can we do this in person? Maybe. I, I don't see why we couldn't. So we'd have to pick an event next year where we're all going to be at, all six of us say. And then we'll just put an ambient mic in, in the middle of the room. Yeah, we can create characters over Zoom beforehand yeah. and then just be ready to go when we yes. get to the event. So that's going to happen. That I think that was Rudy's idea. It's such a good idea. And uh, there's a, a hit down the left field line by the Gooch. 
And, uh, I actually blame the Gooch for how lowbrow this became. The Gooch, was he the first hitter? I have him as the second hitter of the inning. I said two outs, so he must not have been. Okay. Wow. We started talking about Dungeons and Dragons and got totally. So Kevin was the first out of the inning, the Gooch. The second, that brings up Foxy. How do you get a, a name like Foxy? Uh, there's a story. I can only think of one way. This is going to be the quickest inning in the history of the world as uh, four people converge on the ball hit into center field, and it's going to be held, and that was it. Boom. <laughs> that half inning is done. Uh, so the Atlantics are going to come up in the bottom of the seventh. The score remains 13-4. to four. As uh, Lennox will go to the top of the lineup. It does get a little low brow with you, but if you don't know Adam Johnson, he'll go low brow, but he can also go high brow. He's one of the smartest people I ever talked to. I have one of the most flexible brows. <laughs> it is. It really is. Like I it's a just, flexible brow. I can take it either way. <laughs> he does. He takes it both ways. And <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, you're a lot of fun on here, and we laugh, and, and we talk like children sometimes, but damn, you are one of the smartest people on so many different subjects. You really pay attention to the world. You're an educated man, obviously, and uh, and you have your opinions, and they're usually based on a lot of fact. And I'm not very good at taking compliments, so I, I feel uncomfortable right now. That's all right. <laughs> Let it sit. Crawler up for the Atlantics to lead off the inning. As uh, we're getting down to it a little bit, we got Mr. Chicarello on the pitcher's area, and uh, we're going to look. He doesn't have a handkerchief. So or does he? And there's a grounder to third base. Well held by the third baseman. The throw's going to be long enough. It's online, and that's going to be a well-played defensive play. One out. That's going to bring up Snakes. Thanks, Calder. And uh, Snakes is a three for three today. Scored every time he's been up. That's a foul, fair ball. Fair ball down the right field line. It's going to go down the cart path, a little Greenfield Village-like. Uh, and he's going to go into second. There's going to be an overthrow. It's going to go into left field, but he's going to stay there. Uh, although the path is mostly in foul territory here at Old Beth Page, as opposed to all the way across both fields. You still get shades, shades of Greenfield Village. Yeah. Somebody did a slide on the gravel. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, so The fortitude. Mr. Emma uh, comes to the plate. It's a high fly ball. He's going to beat the left fielder, who is way shallow. It's just uh, disrespectfully shallow. Snakes is going to score and Dream Bucket in at second base. Wow, that was amazingly shallow. I don't noticeably. That's why That's why Dream Bucket's just a great hitter. I mean, he noticed. He saw saw the shallow play. He made him pay for that mistake. Uh, Anthony Canino up in what I can only assume is going to be the best hit I've ever seen in my life. Uh there's nobody more fun that I come across than Mr. Canino. Holy cow. Ball hit down the right field line. It's going to go forever. It's going to hit the cart path. It's going to go past the shrubbery. 
into a yard. It's going to turn into gold. That ball turned gold as it gets thrown back into the infield, and Mr. Canino ends up at third. I know <laughs> I've been saying how Anthony Canino's hits have been so good today, uh, but that was a really good hit, and I don't want you to think I'm lying. That was a hell of a hit, a stand-up triple. Oh, there it was. There it was. That was the handkerchief pitch. Wow, and I missed it. He did have a hanky. He just didn't have it out. Told you. He can't expose the handkerchief or else you might see it coming. He does this. Uh, there's another hit down the right field line. That's going to go into the shrubbery. And a foul. I'm still, I'm still reeling from the handkerchief pitch. So you definitely watched the handkerchief hit the ground and uh, had to. Uh, but in an 1864 game, you can, you can just let that go. It don't matter. That's the thing. It's true. That's but it gets in your head. You know, it's not something you can let it go if you're mentally strong. But in my bad, I wasn't. Somebody needs to bring the Chuck Chicarello handkerchief move to the Midwest so we can enjoy this. I'll take on that burden. You don't pitch a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Who, who pitches for the Mountain Stars the most, would you say? Um, when he doesn't have a blown mustache collateral ligament, Brandon Ream. Brandon's not going to pull off that move. We all know that. No. Uh, Toothy with the uh, the hit to center field, right center field. It's going to be a hit on a misplay. He's going to take his first. It's going to score a run for the Atlantics. Here comes old school. Uh, is there a pitcher in Midwest Vintage Baseball? As they switch pitchers, there's a pitching switch between Pine Tar and Chuck. Now, this is strategy-based, by the way, and I don't know what it is. And that's killing me right now at the moment. This pitching change only happened because of a strategic move they're doing with the pitcher, and I hope somebody can explain it to me later. Like, one pitcher must be better at a certain thing for a certain hitter or what? Old school's being very patient up there. I think he's expecting a steal. Perhaps Cornhouse is quicker to the plate. Yeah, that could be it. Is uh, a crush onto the hill in right center field. He's not going to be able to get the bounce. It's going to roll down the back of the hill. We're going to see runs scoring. We're going to see we're going to see triples. We're going to see a home run. Uh, we're going to see dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Oh my God! Throw to the plate. Safe. Wow. Head first slide into home. Uh, that's a home run. He looks worse for wear. Uh, inside the park home run in vintage baseball. Most exciting play ever. It rolled up the it hit on the hill in center field, which I haven't seen a ball go to this weekend, and then rolled down the back of the hill. Uh, center fielder made a valiant effort to try to get to that bounce after he got beat by it. And uh, then when you're going after the bounce and then all of a sudden you're rolling uphill and there's a ball hit down the left field line, that's going to be a hit for chaos. When all of a sudden you're not looking where you're running, and this happens at Greenfield Village, uh, you're running after the ball, and all of a sudden you're running uphill and you weren't expecting it, that can be a little bit difficult. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not paying attention, you could definitely risk injury doing that. There's a steal attempt. There's going to be no throw down there. And that's an art at Greenfield Village, though. The left field on field number one, left field uh, hill. 
navigating that? Right field. Is it right field on one? Well, no, no, I know. Isn't there the hill where the fans sit on one? No, no, no. The hill, the hill in right field leading up to the railroad tracks. Oh, I, on the other side of the yeah, yeah. gravel road. Uh, here's Jimmy Sivior uh, of the Atlantics, and uh, it's Frenchie. Oh, God, it just sounds different, man. And uh, that's just going to be a single. Sorry, Jimmy. You just you didn't get enough. <laughs> the slugging percentage is going down. <laughs> Hobo's going to come up uh, barefoot. Jersey's a wreck. Uh, he's a wreck. He's probably hung over. There's no more vintage, accurate player on the field right now than Hobo. Oh, he's really living the part. There's a high pop-up to the shortstop. A couple of steps to his left. Misplay. Is not able to reel in the, the bound, and then he causes many more bounds to the pitcher as the anger has set in. The heat will do that to you, though. Yeah, the, the lopsided score also. Lopsided score. The fuse is short. And uh, base is loaded now as... Uh, the Atlantics are pouring it on now. I think it's safe to say. Horses up. Hear that plane? So do I. There's a English ball backwards to the catcher, just back to the backstop area. He's not able to get to it. And uh, I think we're still going to have time for another inning after this. Uh, I'm, it's 64, so you can get in a lot of innings as there's a grounder to the shortstop. It's going to go past him into left field. Another run for the Atlantics. Frenchie's going to take his third. Hobo's going to take his second. Horse is going to take lots of faith. His first. And uh, how far away is the food? What time is it? Oh, perfect. Did you make instructions to meet him in the parking lot? All right. That brings up Tuna, number nine hitter in the Atlantics. Uh, you know what? Another thing that the East Coast teams do, Adam, uh, that we don't experience much in the Midwest, and that's sticking to a, a nine-man lineup. So they will – there's a foul tip back to the catcher, mishandle, still alive. So they – even if they have 11, 12 guys show up to a game, they will only do nine, and then they'll get those extra players in as a full substitute later. You know, guys come out and play half the game, and uh, then they come in and play half a game. And uh, this is a very common – is another foul ball. This is a common thing that happens in the East Coast. You never see that in the Midwest, do you? No, no, I've I've never seen that in the Midwest. Though, I think it's an interesting way to allow some more strategy in your game for sure. I mean, you got to let your dogs eat. I think there's times where the 67 fly teams in the Midwest are always so concerned about getting through their lineup, and they they think of so many different ways to try to do it, especially in tournaments to try to get back around. To like you said, 
And there's a pop-up to the second baseman. Chuck's going to take it on a bounce. Uh, and he's going to throw it home. Jimmy's going to try to score, and he does. Uh, on a, as that play did not come off flawlessly. But Tuna's going to be the second out of the inning. They've now, they batted around, so Crowler's back up. And Atlantic's have another one on the board. Oboe's going to go over to third. Tuna's going to make his second. I think this is a solution that never gets talked about is just batting nine because it's historically accurate. You can get away with that as long as you sub them out. This is something I know. And uh, But teams won't do that. Is it because we're afraid of hurting feelings? It's because the Midwest gets butt hurt. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's a big part of it. And also, like, I, uh, I don't know how many people would actually come out if they weren't playing the whole game, uh, which is also tied into butt hurt. Yeah, unfortunate, but if you're trying to hide, if you if you're playing in a tournament, you want to win. You have some muffins on your team, uh, and you're always trying to hide them, which you try to do. I've, I've been a muffin. I've been on teams with muffins. Uh, isn't this a way to hide them? For sure. But then <laughs> they're like they don't come out. Well, at least in the Midwest, they wouldn't. But I'm all about it. Like, I think, uh, I mean, that's how the game was played. Right. Uh, but then what do you do? Like, <laughs> so in my early years of Bay City, there's a, a grounder to the third base on a one hop. That's it's going to score a run. There's not going to be an out recorded on that. Uh, you would have 16 people show up to a home game mm-hmm. to play. So you would almost have half, you would almost have the whole team subbed for halfway through that game. It would almost be like having two teams. And I don't know how well that would go over. That's a managerial nightmare. Yeah. But if you have 11 guys, depending on the age situations, uh, in Midwest, there's a lot of older players I'm sure a lot of older players would not mind playing a half a game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think if you can go into it with that mentality, though, I think there's some some players that uh, might find themselves on the on the cusp of that that don't want to. I don't know. Don't want to feel those feelings. Just as many probably as who wouldn't mind. There's a line drive into right center field in the. The out is going to be recorded, as that is the third out. The Atlantics put eight more on the board, and that's going to make the score 11, 13, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, 21 to 4. So this game's gotten a little... I believe that was it. I think they're calling it. And they are calling it. Going to turn on the ambient mic so you can get the... I want to thank Adam Johnson for coming in and sticking around and making this uh, broadcast a little more pleasurable to the ear. Uh, and thanks for the wiener talk. Anytime. Anytime you want to talk about wieners, just find me <laughs> and we'll do it. And even though I'm going, I feel like I'm going to leave a piece of me with you here. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the Barrel Roller and Swamp Ass Show. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> and we'll see you in the next broadcast. Here's the guys on the field.